everybody, Rob here. Before we get into today's most shows recap, talking about the People versus OJ Simpson here on Post Shows Recaps, I wanted to quickly let you know about a Podcast One survey that's going on. Now, Podcast One is the podcast home of Post Show Recaps. And over at Podcast One, they're trying to get some information from you guys, the listeners, about ways that they can improve the show and find out a little bit more about the people that listen to shows here on Post Show Recaps. Take about three minutes of your time and you can help let us know how you feel about the show and help us get to know you a little bit better. Plus, it's also a way to provide information to the sponsors so that they can know better about who's listening to these shows. So if you want to go ahead and take that survey, it's at podcast1.com. That's podcast1.com. Really looking forward to the show today. Hope you enjoy it. Your boredom is over, but we are just getting started here on most shows recap on post show recaps. And we have got a great show today because we are going to be talking about the people versus OJ Simpson American crime story. So here we are. We are the guys who would never, ever try to commit suicide in any Kardashian bedroom. I'm Rob Sisterino. Here with me today is, you know him, he's on the show every week, Antonio Mazzaro and special guest, Akiva Winokur. Uh, you, told me, you told me you'd just say that I was Josh Wiggler and we'd pretend. Yeah, Josh Wiggler is on assignment. I know that he's pumped up too about all the OJ stuff, but he's got so many different things uh, that he's writing this week that he couldn't be here with us to talk about American Crime Story, which premiered on FX this Tuesday night. And the internet is going nuts and everybody is going crazy, revisiting all of the drama of the classic American story of O.J. Simpson. Can you imagine Twitter and Reddit, what they would have been like on the day of the Bronco chase? It would have been insane. Reddit uh, would have solved this case within an hour, by yeah. the way. Well, we are going to talk all about white Broncos, famous running backs, and race issues in America later in the show when Akiva gives his Super Bowl predictions. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> No, very exciting, very exciting week of American Crime Story. It seems like everybody is talking about this. Grease Live, I think, just got totally wiped off the map on Tuesday night when American Crime Story happened, Antonio. Yeah, it's a grease spot at this point. (laughs) Okay, so of course, American Crime Story, colon, the people versus O.J. Simpson. I really don't know what to call this, by the way. Uh, Akiva, what are you calling this show? In my head, I would just call it the O.J. show. <laughs> so the O.J. show is here. It comes from Ryan Murphy, who is the person behind Glee and Antonio's favorite Scream Queens. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan Murphy, the king of uh, all television. Yeah. And of course, uh, the American horror story saga. Uh, and he is back together. And, you know, this was something that we had had a bit of a debate about on the show or not even so much of a debate on the show, but. Antonio and Josh and I had been talking about the people versus OJ Simpson and we were calling it Sharknado J because it was going to be this star studded thing. But we wondered if it was going to be good. Akiva had been separately telling me, no, you got to believe me. It's going to be good. I'm telling you the hype is real on this. And so Akiva, who ended up being right about this is American Crime Story a good show. Yeah, I do think it's a good show. It's definitely not Sharknado. I don't think anybody thinks that it's Sharknado at this point. Were you a person who felt like that the quality was delivered by your boy Ryan Murphy? Well, here's the interesting thing, Rob, because I I think everyone was right in this regard. (laughs) I think it was great. Uh, Ryan Murphy actually played a little bit less of a role in the show than I think we originally anticipated. What it was is there was an O.J. Simpson miniseries under development at FX based on an adaptation of Jeffrey Tubin's book. Uh, about the O.J. Simpson murder trial. And that was already underway. Ryan Murphy got this deal to make American Crime Story, an anthology series very similar to American Horror Story. And the brilliant people at FX says, first series of uh, American Crime Story is going to be People versus O.J. Simpson, this thing that's already under development. So rather than having primary writing credit on the show, uh, this was already being written by other parties who clearly, I think, tonally, uh, impacted the show in a way that you, know, you don't have that Ryan Murphy silliness infecting every scene or most of the scenes. There's a little bit of it, but not enough, I think, to 
to make it Sharknado J. It is a good show. So what was the purpose of the Ryan Murphy signing? Was it just so that he could bring in the A-list, B-list celebrity talent to this like you would expect from an American horror story? Absolutely. I think that's a big part of it. I think they do want to launch an American crime story series where similar to how American Horror Story works, which we, of course, have Josh Wiggler and Stephen Fishback podcasting about here at Post Show Recaps. A hotel. Um, yeah, American Horror Story Hotel with the Lady Gaga. But yeah, uh, but yeah he, he's got these connections. He's known for these sort of anthology shows. American Horror Story, of course, um, has different settings and you know similar actors or sometimes the same actors uh, playing the same roles in very different settings from season to season. Uh, and so I think that is the plan with American Crime Story. Uh, there's already maybe some discussions about what season two might be. We can get into that later. But I think the plan was to have Ryan Murphy kind of launch this Ryan Murphy series, American Crime Story. Uh, and hey, here's the perfect thing already in development that we can use as season one. Let's get you on board, get the casting, get everything set up that way. Now, Akiva, I agree that this show was gripping last night, but I'm having a hard time really wrapping my head around why. Was it really that the show was so amazingly executed or was it like, oh, what celebrity is going to walk on next? Yeah, I think this episode, because they needed to establish all of their talent, you know, we saw a tiny bit of Mark Furman. You know, you saw you saw, you know, more of Schwimmer and more of Travolta, but less of some of the other key characters. And I do think they just needed to show you everybody in this first episode. And, and as we go on, it's going to be more of, uh, you know, here's an, uh, lost like where it's like uh, one episode, you know, just about Marsha Clark, one episode, just about the Kardashians. And, uh, you know, here it was really that they just, it was a, an unusual pilot in the sense that a lot of the people who, uh, reviewed it basically said that the pilot was the weakest of the first six episodes because they, there's just so much. And this wasn't even, I don't know how long it was on air. I think it was, it was an hour of, of real time watching. There was just so much to get in in the first. You know, they want to start episode two with the chase, which means everything before the chase needs to be squeezed into episode one. You know, I'm pretty curious to see where the sensibility of this show ultimately will lie and, you know, what story we're going to be telling about this whole OJ saga. Antonio, from the bit that you've read of the source material, do you have a sense of what story is ultimately being told? I mean, I think it's the story of of the kind of the whole context of the trial. It isn't just the nuts and bolts of what happened at the trial. Where was the evidence? Where was the evidence pointing a sort of who done it like a 2020 kind of thing? Uh, this OJ! is OJ. Yeah, this is going to be much bigger than that. It's, and I think it's going to be I mean, the show sort of tips its hand a little bit, I think, with a couple of the very early scenes. One, we see footage of the L.A. riots. Uh, and two, we have O.J. kind of telling the limo driver the story of when he met Willie Mays and decided he wanted to be a celebrity. Uh, and I think that those the kind of greater context uh, of of the trial and where this fits sort of in the American kind of condition at that time in Los Angeles is absolutely. And, and, and I think what makes this a good show and not just kind of a cheese ball show uh, is that I think the the story there, the show is interested in telling that story, which uh, I don't think you can really, I mean, I think if you really want to consider the impact of this trial, uh, why it was such a big thing, you have to look at those things. So good on the show for really wanting to expand. And the book really sort of goes into that as well. The history of the LAPD, um, why uh, some of the defenses that were used uh, were effective and so forth and so on. Now, Akiva, through one episode, I do feel like that the show is treating OJ's innocence or guilt with a little bit of kid gloves, or if not kid gloves, at least isotoner gloves. Do you think that the show is consciously trying to ride a fine line between showing you that OJ definitely did do it, or are they just basically leaving it all to for you to assume? I mean, it's a really good question. There, there, here's the issue. 98% of the viewing audience, I think, assumes that he did it at this point. Or maybe I'm being a little high, but it, over 90%. And the source material from the book, he says straight out in the book, OJ murdered Nicole and Ronald Goldman. The opinion of Jeffrey Tubin is not, uh, he does not couch his opinion at all. He is, he is convinced of OJ's guilt. If the source material is any indication, they're going to show him being guilty. However, they were even in, it, they didn't really give you one way or the other. They show him failing the, the, uh, lie detector test miserably. But again, that's just something that happened. And I don't know 
if you're gonna um you know really go to town on on that you can't really leave it out but what about the fact that yeah, this is minor but they show oj writing the suicide notes and one of the more interesting things about the suicide notes is we learned that something that nobody really knew about oj that he was functionally illiterate essentially um and they didn't really show that in the in the little they showed of the notes they they actually like uh you know, they cleaned up his grammar and his handwriting and everything like that. But in the three notes he wrote, they were basically, uh, liter- you know, a literary disaster. Although the smiley face in the O when he signed his name OJ was something that he actually did. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so what are you saying that they're trying to tell us uh, other than like trying to make OJ seem like he's a better writer than he is? What are, what are you saying that that has to do with the case? Well, the point is, I'm not sure yet. I don't know if we have enough information. I don't think they're ever going to make a call one way or the other. There is a chance that they lean one way, but I'm not sure if we have the answer to that question after the first. Uh, listen, if they were going to show right away, they would reenact the scene with him right. killing her or him right. not killing her. And they clearly didn't do that. Right. Well, I think that's a really big thing to talk about as we discuss this series, because just from the point of view of the show, that they seem to be going with more of like a serial season one, as opposed to a making a murderer where we come away from making a murderer saying, okay, well, Stephen Avery obviously didn't do it, but we're also not getting the sense from the show that OJ definitely did do it. And for me, it's sort of hard to reconcile that the show seems like to me that Johnny Cochran has been getting a hero edit so far. I feel like it's almost like that Johnny Cochran is coming in like the hero of the story where it's like that he's trying to prove that there is a conspiracy here to take down OJ. But we're also not getting the perspective from the show that there actually was a conspiracy to take down OJ. Antonio, am I reading too much into this that I'm confused about where we're going? I wouldn't say you're reading too much into it. I think that if you if you change a perspective a little bit, um, you might see it a little differently. And I would say, look, in almost every criminal trial, uh, you're never going to have a direct slam dunk. Like, obviously, those things get played out a lot of the time. You don't take it to trial when you have a slam dunk. But the OJ case was pretty much as close to a slam dunk as you can get. They had DNA evidence. They had uh, pr- prior actions. They had motive. Uh, they had the opportunity. His alibis didn't hold up. His actions were really erratic. Uh, He had injuries, all these things. I mean, it was considered to be a slam dunk. And the story of the trial was how Marsha Clark uh, and Christopher Darden played a role uh, in really kind of blowing it, Uh, and how OJ's really good defense team managed to expose cracks in the case and really exploit them. But the the case should have been a slam dunk. I mean, the guy uh, is as guilty as you could possibly get without video of him actually doing it. That said, I did think it was interesting that, for example, Uh, We saw the actions of Furman when he gets to the scene. Uh, They're jumping over the gate at OJ's house. When uh, we see kind of Furman talking to Cato, we we get a cutaway. We don't see Furman finding the glove at the scene there. Uh, So there is there remains the possibility, uh, at least as the show is putting it, that Furman could have planted that glove. We don't see the discovery of it. Uh, And so I, I think the show isn't the show could be steering into it a lot more. They could be making Mark Furman out like cutaways and showing him to be evil and all of these things. They're not doing that. Uh, but I do think the show is is presenting the facts as they were certainly kind of covered at trial uh, and leaving it open to your interpretation uh, exactly whether the, the, the trial should have played out the way it did. Because that's ultimately the story of this is how come the trial didn't play out for OJ to be found guilty? He's found guilty in this civil action. 98% of people, as Akiva is saying, probably think he's guilty. I agree with that. Um, but that doesn't mean he should have been found guilty at the trial. And that's ultimately going to be the story of the show. To me, in watching through this, I almost felt like the person who is the biggest villain in the story, maybe even more so than OJ himself, is the John Travolta, Robert Shapiro character. The thing that I'm having a hard time trying to reconcile is that the Johnny Cochran character is really being set up as like the person who's going to come in and sort of be like the hero of all of this when he's working so closely with Robert Shapiro. Akiva, are you seeing that the same way? Well, first of all, if you're viewing Robert Shapiro as played by John Travolta as the villain after one episode, then it's probably Travolta. Either the show did something wrong or Travolta's acting really was not on point because, you know, he is clearly not the villain of the story. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Mark Furman. It'll be very interesting you know, you look at the actors and, and who got the meaty roles. You know, David Schwimmer gets a 
a big role that will be made bigger by, you know, uh, by what his last name is. And, and John Travolta takes an interesting role. And obviously part of it has to do with, you have to at least reasonably look like the person, uh, you know, and Cuba Gooding Jr. gets, gets, uh, OJ, who is, appears like he will not be the number one star of the show. I guess that's to be determined. But there's 11 or 12 people that are going to be in every episode. But to me, the um, Furman character, who's probably the most detestable person, you know, OJ might just be a sociopath, but Furman, who, you know, is, is caught using the N-word 40-something times. And, I thought he had a good edit in episode one. Well, th- we saw very little of Furman, but he's not even like a, you know, before the, the show credited guy. I don't know how key Furman's going to be to the to the story. Well, the crazy thing is we saw about as much as Mark Furman as Mark Furman was involved in the case. Uh, you know, he's only really the head detective on the case for about 30 minutes. Uh, and he was barely involved just because he knew where OJ lived. And it ended up being an active crime scene at, at you know, at OJ's house. But Mark Furman really was not heavily involved in this case. Uh, but he became such a key player in the trial because he was involved in the case and because he had the background that he had. So we saw about as much as Mark Furman as there was in Mark Furman investigating the case. Unfortunately for Mark Furman, he became a much bigger part of the story. Yeah, I think that the Mark Furman thing is going to be interesting to follow, and especially like the way that they open the show with starting in 1991 with the L.A. riots and Rodney King. It really is making me wonder about just the point of view and the direction that the show is going to take. And at first... I think on face value, if you open the show like that, I feel like you're kind of saying that, okay, there was a conspiracy that the police were trying to set OJ up in this way. Like, it's confusing to me to reconcile those those two things other than to say, hey, issues of race with the police department really haven't changed that much since 1991. But I feel like the race part of the OJ trial, I feel like was more of a reaction. And if you're not ultimately saying that the police were trying to frame OJ because he was black, then I'm not sure why you start the show that way, Antonio. Because it, because it became such a big part of what Johnny Cochran was involved in doing, and because it was such a big part of the story. OJ uh, was, in, and I'm sure we'll see this on the show, he was not really an active member of the black community in the way that um, Johnny Cochran was you know, participating in kind of, uh, you, you see this, the, the snippet on this show, uh, where there's kind of a, like an underground, like a podcast, like an underground radio show or, you know, a radio show on a black station that Johnny Cochran's listening to. That was kind of the attitude or what was the view of the LAPD at the time by a lot of people in the community. Um, that certainly had an impact on the jury. And I think that you cannot present the way the trial was presented without setting that as the backdrop that people were suspicious of the LAPD, that a Rodney King thing had happened. Part of why OJ was able to win this trial was because Johnny Cochran, through inexplicable reasons uh, that had a lot to do with Mark Furman, but that had most to do with the way people viewed the LAPD, was to make it seem like O.J. Simpson was being persecuted because of race. Um, and I think that a lot of people felt that way, and O.J. was really not part of that culture at all. So it's very interesting that that was the choice that was made, and it was a successful choice, and that had a huge impact on the trial. I think it also had an impact on the uh, just the general buzz surrounding the trial LA just coming off of those riots people across the country were talking about that uh, and when that came up and became part of the the trial uh, it became an even bigger issue so i think that it's not i don't think it's presented there to make the audience of the show feel like the cops may have framed him i think it's there to create context for the trial and where the trial takes place and why ultimately the defense that Johnny Cochran spearheaded was successful yeah, and in particular, the jury, the, you know, l- like Antonio said, he's exactly right. The, they're really just foreshadowing this primarily African-American jury, which is, you know, going to basically feel the, I don't know if they know what's going on, but they're going to feel the pressure of basically an entire city, you know, in their decision. So let's talk about some of the performances in this show, because you have so many different celebrities and it's a real who's who in terms of the people that they got playing these different roles. Let's just uh, pick out some of our favorite performances from the show. Antonio, who were some of the people that really stood out for you? Well, I really like what's going on um, with uh, with Courtney Vance playing Johnny Cochran. I'm a fan of that because Johnny Cochran is such a uh, prevalent character in the context of the trial. Uh, and he really was at the beginning of the of the case. He was a media figure. He was a guy who was on TV shows and kind of uh, as like sort of this guest commentator. Uh, and he wasn't really part of the trial. 
uh, and he found his way in there. Uh, and I think that that's great. He's obviously the with the Jackie Childs. I know you guys on the Seinfeld podcast. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. Yeah, we we can talk about that. And I and I'm I'm not the one to weigh in there, but he is a very notable figure from this. I really like what's going on with Court. I, I like Courtney B. Vance as an actor already, uh, and so I really do like him as Johnny Cochran uh, in the quiet moments when he's picking out his outfits, and then in the public moments where he's carrying the Johnny Cochran persona. So I I, I want to single him out for sure. Well, this portrayal of Johnny Cochran, I guess to me. This is where I'm having the hardest time wrapping my head around it, Akiva, because, you know, you and I podcast about Seinfeld here on Post Show Recaps. And of course, we have not yet gotten to Jackie Childs and that character on Seinfeld. But at least in the media, I feel like and in Seinfeld in particular, I feel like that Johnny Cochran was always portrayed as a bit more of an ambulance chaser and somebody who is sort of just like, you know, you have that image of Johnny Cochran uh, and, you know, the, if the glove don't fit, you must quit and sort of like setting up that, you know, Johnny Cochran is a person who's trying to help a murderer get off with a after committing a gruesome murder. But I really did feel like this portrayal of Johnny Cochran was super positive through the first episode. Yeah, I mean, part of it is that like Antonio saying that the actor has this is a, it's a meaty part, but he really knocks it out of the park in the first episode. So you kind of like him more. But also because the show needs to introduce Johnny Cochran in episode one, but he's really not in the story yet, except as basically an observer because he hasn't been added to the team. You know, how do you show it there? They're, you know, most of these scenes are at least, you know, based in reality. But the Johnny Cochran stuff, it's like, well, what could he have been doing at the time? So, you know, basically the writers are making up these scenes out of thin air, essentially. What, you know, what are you going to do with Johnny Cochran? So you make him seem like, you know, the hero that's going to come out of the bullpen. But he does seem like he is somebody who is trying to do something for the sake of good and not necessarily as a hired gun to come in and defend a guilty person. But that's his job, right? I mean, I'm not an, an attorney. Antonio should speak to this more. But like people weren't, you know, I think that, you know, Stephen Avery did it. But if, whether you'd think, or, you know, he did it or not, nobody's complaining about string and beauting that, you know, oh, why How you could know, you? <laughs> I'm saying it's the same idea that like his job is to is to represent him like it's not you know that's you know his job is to get him off that's not uh his job to determine innocence or guilt what about the portrayal of the other lawyer who is going to work very hard to try to get OJ off in Robert Shapiro I mentioned John Travolta I thought he that he came off as a uh, quite villainous in the first episode he's also a producer on this uh Kiva what did you think of the John Travolta role. Well, first of all, you're not getting Travolta to television nowadays unless you give him a producer credit. Mm -hmm. You know, it was impressive. I guess he's not really doing anything in movies, but I'm sure he's beyond set. He didn't need to, you know, do this. So um, I, I, I agree. It was very cartoony. I think this, the, you know, the show is really, you know, there's bigger name show, you know, actors than you'll have in almost any other, you know, new television show that's coming out. And it's really balanced between some absolute, you know, home runs and people who are just trying too hard. And I think Travolta is at the top of the list. I think uh, there's another person we'll mention in a second who I think is also trying too hard. But to me, yeah, he, you know, he, he is going you know, out of his way. And if it was a lesser actor, maybe the director could, you know, Ryan Murphy could go over to him and say, like, hey, tone it down a little bit. But I don't know if you can give Travolta any notes. I'm not sure if he even like, would hear you. Antonio, to me, it seems like Travolta is trying to do some combination of the Dr. Evil Lorne Michaels impression. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of that there. Okay. Um, okay. So, okay. Yeah. Would you like a hug? How about a hug? Come on. Give me a hug. I'm not bad. I'm a good lawyer. What do I have to do to get a shark with freaking laser beams around here, OJ? Okay. I, all I want is just a little bit of a donation here. Uh, from my country club, which is in no way trying to take over the world. Uh, yeah, I don't understand uh, what, what John Travolta is doing here. I really don't. Uh, first of all, he looks, he doesn't look great. Uh, he looks kind of like a, a body that they found after three days and then they still wanted to have an open casket. So they put a bunch of makeup on it. Um, he doesn't look great. Uh, and I've never, I've never thought of John Travolta as a good actor. Uh, he's right in certain roles. Don't get me wrong. I thought he was, for example, right in the role of Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction. But he's not a good actor by any stretch. He's not a guy with range. Uh, he's just, he comes off a little awkward here. He's just a very weird guy. Uh, the Scientology thing notwithstanding. And so uh, it just, it, you, Robert Shapiro is a lot of things. He's an interesting 
character. Um, he was, uh, there's a, there's a lot written about Robert Shapiro and he was very much kind of a, a networker and a glad handler and a guy who, uh, sustained his business, uh, of criminal, you know, kind of work on, on making relationships with other attorneys, especially, but he was not a trial attorney. And so I do think that there's a little bit there where you're supposed to see Robert Shapiro as being out of his, out of his depth pretty quickly, uh, that maybe he's not making the best choices. He's making some smart calls, but he's not exactly like coming in and running the show perfectly from the jump. Uh, and so some of the weirdness of the role, I think makes sense, but I think Travolta is just, is not a great actor. So I think that doesn't help you. All right, Kiva, you mentioned somebody else is trying too hard. Who is that? I think uh, Cuba's Cuba Gooding Jr.'s first episode is OJ. Interesting. Uh, if, if this is, I, maybe you guys have a totally different opinion, but if this is what he's going to do for all 10 episodes, you know, there's so much there with OJ and he could only give them what they're writing on the page, but it just seemed like it's a lot of yelling. I feel like it was the same scene four times where he just loses his mind to what's going on, which maybe that's what OJ was doing. He's a crazy person in an absolutely insane situation you. that that came out of nowhere. But, uh, you know, or maybe didn't come out of nowhere. But, uh, you know, the, the, you know, it's more than he could have ever imagined. And he's flipping out a lot. But it just seemed like he had one note and that was go completely crazy. <laughs> Antonio, I thought that OJ, as played by Cuba Gooding Jr., was a bit of a whiny OJ. Did you get that at all? Yeah, a little bit. I, I do oh, think this is come interesting. Oh, What? <laughs> You're going to talk to the juice like that? No, come on. I can't go to jail right now. It, it's, well, here's the thing. Um, and I, I'm curious for especially Akiva's take on this, but yours as well, Rob, because you guys are both big football fans. I'm wondering how much of the kind of CTE uh, and what we know about kind of former football players and anger issues and emotional problems that develop as a result of CTE. I'm wondering how hard mm. this show is going to lean into that because what we saw of this OJ Simpson, and honestly, if you believe that OJ committed this crime, you have to believe this is a guy who is an emotional mess, who's a wreck, who's very volatile. Uh, and so I understand why that's coming out in the performance. Uh, but I'm wondering, is this, is this kind of a product of direction? Like, is this the O.J. symptoms they want to portray? They call him charming, but he's a mess in this episode. Just a total mess. But I do wonder how much of that is like, well, if he did this, he, he probably did it because he had concussion problems and CTE and anger issues as a result of all the hits he took as a football player. So we want to show that side of this in the show. Like I wonder, I, I'm going to talk later on about the Kardashian side of this because I do think the show is going to be trying to make a point about that aspect of it. But I really think that the show might be trying to make a point about the NFL as well. Akiva, in the CTE era of the NFL and professional football, how many days would the OJ trial have lasted in a CTE era? Why, do you think he would have pled some sort of insanity due to CTE? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I think on the first day that I think that the defense would have said, OK, uh, CTE, OJ had 19 concussions. Jury would have acquitted him by lunch. I don't know if you get it. I mean, the Aaron Hernandez get acquitted. He could easily have CTE. He they did, well, he didn't get charged in a CTE era. He should be processing for a retrial. If you took a hit, you must acquit. Oh, this is a scorching hot take. Yes. Aaron Hernandez should get a new trial. Yes. He should probably be let out. I agree. His attorneys need to cite all of the CTE research. If Aaron Hernandez said, promised that he would become a jet, when they let him out, I would consider giving him a second. Your try. Honor, the defense would like to call Roger Goodell to the stand. Like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, Roger Goodell. He'd be going Cato Kalen on it and taking the fifth at every opportunity. <laughs> oh, sure. yeah, he would not answer. Could you imagine? He would not answer. He would, we're on to the next question. You'd get a better chance of getting something out of Belichick on the stand. Next question. Next question. <laughs> yeah, it'd be huge. Okay. Uh, well, you brought up the Kardashians, Antonio. Let's talk about the uh, David Schwimmer, Robert Kardashian role. What did you think of that? As uh, I've seen him in reviews referred to as Ross Kardashian. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of the Monica. There's a little bit of the whiny Ross. We were on the, a break. <laughs> and I mean, I'm looking for Marcel kind of around his shoulder. I, I mean, I don't know what Robert Kardashian is really like. I mean, I did see him read the letter on TV that day. I mean, I know who the guy is, but whether what, what he was like behind closed doors, I have no idea. And I haven't really gotten into that aspect of the book yet. Uh, but I will say that it, it is, I mean, look, they go out of their way to say, don't do this in Kimmy's bedroom. And we see Chris mm -hmm. uh, and the kids running around and that's fine. I didn't think it detracted from the story. And honestly, I think Daniel Feinberg at the Hollywood reporter made a really good point about this, which is, I think I, I can't remember his exact quote, but it was sort of like, 
um, this trial was the toxic nuclear sludge accident, which gave birth to the monster that is the Kardashian family. <laughs> that these yeah. kids and the people, Chris and everyone that was involved, saw how the trial was making celebrities out of nobodies and thought, wow, you can be a celebrity for no reason. And that it, it was something that was desirous and to be pursued. Uh, and then from this, this event uh, was created this monster that we deal with now. So I think that if, if the, I, I think you can't listen to the, the first scene there with Cuba in the, the limo talking about Willie Mays and having OJ say, when I grow up, I wanted to be a celebrity. That's what I wanted to be. Uh, and not see the show really kind of making a statement about that a little bit. Uh, and I'll be curious to see how much that plays out throughout the course of the whole season. So you could track the through line all the way back from Willie Mays dot, dot, dot to Northwest and Caitlyn Jenner and Lamar Odom and all of these Wiz things. Khalifa. Yeah. Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you could just uh, take, you could take a line and trace your finger right across that whole line uh, all the way through. Um, say, and- Hey kid. Can't believe yes. he did it <laughs> all the way through. So no, I, I don't know about the Willie Mays story. I think that that's interesting. And I, I would be curious to know if that was a real uh, anecdote that OJ shared with uh, the limo driver or not. Um, if it wasn't uh, clearly that was created uh, to sort of, uh, I think make a mission statement about the show uh, and about kind of one of the issues that the show wanted to tackle. If that is truly what OJ said to that limo driver that night, it's also fascinating, uh, but it's really convenient for the show to be able to have that to kind of state from the beginning. Like this is as much about issues of celebrity as it is about anything else. Who are some of the other performances that were particularly interesting to you, Akiva? So I think it's very important because most of the people in the show are on the OJ side, you know, OJ's lawyers. So to me, to carry the other side and to make you care a little bit about the prosecution, the Marsha Clark character needed to work. And I think Sarah Paulson, who's playing Marsha Clark, really does a great job. I think she's not likable because she is kind of the doofus of the story, but she, you know, she is a great actress and I think you will get her. They're trying to humanize her in, in her own way by saying, oh, you know, she, uh, you know, she had to cancel the baby shower, bridal shower when, um, you know, when she found out about this and she's dealing with a divorce at the time, which I didn't check if she was actually dealing with divorce, but it's such a random thing. It's it very, it, it seems unlikely that it wouldn't have at least been at some point in that time frame that she was dealing with it. But to me, the Marsha Clark character played by Sarah Paulson was uh, one of the better actresses. Akiva, when you call her the doofus of the story, are you saying that that is borne out by history or by the portrayal here in the show? No, she's getting a better portrayal than... Uh, she would think, and I, I read an article, uh, Marsha Clark did press today. She did an interview with Vulture where she had watched the show. And you'd think somebody who went through this, especially the person on the losing end, it would be very hard for them to watch it. But she didn't, she actually was, you know, much more positive. You know, she had some nitpicks, but she was much more positive about, you know, the general, she's moved on. She's no longer in law. She's a fiction writer now, but she, you know, she almost like when I read her, uh, interview i almost gave it more of a you know stamp of approval that she didn't hate it because if she you know you could have expected her to hate it but yeah i thought sarah paulson was really good and i i'm curious to see where they take that character i know she's going forward gonna have about as much screen time as anybody else and antonio what about the other person on the prosecution what about the christopher darden character well i think it's it's great because i i really did like that the show introduced that character from the beginning there's this sort of um, sometimes quoted uh, theory in screenwriting and movies that you want to get almost all your main characters on the screen in the first 10 minutes. And you can, there are violations of that that prove the rule, but um, most of the time you really want to kind of set things up like that. And Christopher Darden becomes such a key figure in the trial. Um, once the trial reaches a higher profile, he's promoted uh, because he's black uh, to be kind of the, so it, it doesn't appear that the prosecution is just purely racially motivated. Um, but he's probably not ready for that. He's frustrated. Uh, he really is not in the position where he's had a lot of these high profile trials like this. Uh, and that becomes an issue at the trial for sure. Uh, as does his former relationship with Johnny Cochran, which is a real thing. So I think that it's, I think that they do a good job introducing the Christopher Darden character here, um, because he is such a kind of a, a key player in the trial. And I agree. I think as we shrink the kind of focus of this series, uh, he's going to be one of the key players. And I think he'll emerge more and more uh, as a very interesting character because of how he feels about his role in the prosecution and the pressure that Johnny Cochran is putting on him and uh, the way he's being specifically targeted. And as 
he's in over his head and all sorts of those things. Did he even want to be involved? So uh, it'll, it, it's good to introduce this character. And I think they did a really good job of showing him really not involved at all. There was that little throwaway line where he's like, nobody here would miss me if I left for a weekend. And I think that was true at the time the trial started. Uh, but he becomes such a key player that it's fascinating to see him uh, before he's thrust into the spot. Akiva, I made a big mistake of underselling what a big OJ trial fanboy you are. Could you just uh, talk a little bit about your background with this case? Well, I, I wasn't involved in the case. No, you weren't. In- <laughs> I was I was 11. I was 10 years old. Um, I just I, I don't know. I feel like it was the first it's for you know, somebody who's too young to remember it. We we could not overstate how big of a deal this was. Every single I mean, imagine now what would have to happen for in, for uh, ABC to cut away from game five of the NBA finals to show a news story. You know, literally, it would have to be something like with the president's health, an impeachment. I can't even, you know, there's so few things nowadays that would happen for. But they, but they did that. NBC did that during game five of the NBA finals of a, of a really good series just because. And remember, everyone, every other channel showing it, you know, just because the, the new it was such big news when uh, OJ you know, went on the lamb that, you know, it, it necessitated that the whole world was talking about it. And you'd be an idiot to talk about anything else. It, it really, you know, I was young, but it's. It was sort of the first, like you say, you know, Twitter would have absolutely, it would have been the biggest thing. There's nothing that's happened in like the eight or nine year history of Twitter that could even compare to this in terms of like a cultural event. Absolutely not. And so was it because they broke away from an NBA game that you were watching that that really said, oh, this must be really important. So I'm going to be obsessed with this case. Yeah, I was probably like, turn the game back on. Ooh, what's this? <laughs> and it's, you know, everyone had an opinion. You know, I was in whatever grade, fourth or fifth grade. And. Uh, you know, every we we wouldn't even have class. We'd be like yelling and arguing about the case. <laughs> Most people think he didn't. You know, he that he did that he did it. And then there'd be one or two kids yelling that he didn't, and they were very excited when when they were right. You know, I, I mean, it was just like it, it, I mean, I'm, and I'm sort of like a a true crime. You know, that's one of my like uh, hobbies that I love reading true crime books. Yeah, reading, not committing, not committing true. Crimes. Yeah, but to me, this you know, this was sort of like the first thing that that uh you know brought me into it and it was it was the first huge true crime story uh you know of my lifetime and so since you're so familiar with this case did you feel like through one episode that they got most of the facts straight or did you feel like they were playing sort of fast and loose with what actually you knew about the case um they really did nail a lot of things and i have no experience with ryan murphy with with the director of the show as antonio said he's less involved than he is on most of his other shows but i've never seen glee or nip tuck or American, whatever the other ones are called. So I've never seen anything he's done, uh, except you really love. I've watched that <laughs> ten times. No, I've never. Seen. But um, those so, scream queens for you, Akiva? I've never even heard of it. Oh, uh, Antonio, cover your ears. I know. I I can't earmuffs. I'm putting some earmuffs on. <laughs> but but I know that his reputation, uh, you know, from Glee and everything, is that it's very campy. So to me, it was such a pleasant surprise that this wasn't campy. And they really do. I mean, they have a very good source material. I've read. The, I read the Tubin book many years ago, and, it, you know, it, they have what to go off of. And the, the truth here is stranger than fiction to the point where it would be dumb to make things up. Because some of the things that happen, like if you ask me, wait, OJ had a statue of himself that was enormous outside his house? Like, yeah, that's true. That statue was there. <laughs> wow. Who knew? There are a lot of those crazy things. I mean, I, for a very long time. I had no idea how Cato Kalen was involved in this. Like I knew he was the house guest, but I want that gig. I want the gig where you can just live rent free or very low rent in OJ Simpson or a famous person's kind of guest house that you have no real relationship with. And it turned out, of course, that the truth is sadder than fiction, that he was just a tenant of Nicole's uh, and OJ was kind of using uh, real estate in, in the separation between Nicole and OJ to sort of control her. Uh, and when she wanted to do a deal where Cato was still going to rent from her at a different property, OJ said, no, no, you can live in my guest house. No worries. Uh, so he took that income away from Nicole and he took Cato out of Nicole's life. Uh, and so that's why OJ had this random I weird didn't know dude, that. America's house yeah. guest living, living at the, living on his back, you know, in his guest house, just being there. Like, otherwise, what's I, I always thought like Cato came up. That's got to be like a drug dealer. Right. Or OJ's hookup. Like there's something, something going on there that we're not knowing about. But it turns out, I think it's just a lot sadder and more sordid even than than I could imagine. That it is really just, he was a pawn in this kind of 
uh, manipulation of OJ's, you know, of Nicole by OJ throughout the course of their relationship. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think Cato may have been the babysitter for their children. Um, so like she actually kind of needed him around. Yeah. Um, and I, th- and I think, and no one's ever said this, but just intuiting that he probably didn't want this good looking guy to, you know, be living in a house with his ex-wife or Manny. Sure. the house of his. So sure. But yeah, everything you said is correct. It's, uh, you know, the Cato Kalen thing is, uh, is weirder than you could even write up. Antonio, I know you are more familiar with the Ryan Murphy works than probably Akiva or I are. Does Ryan Murphy rely on the 360 degree camera move as much in anything else as he did here in the people versus OJ Simpson? I think it varies. Not that I have seen exclusively Uh, a lot of his American horror story stuff that I have seen uh, is, is presented cinema verite. The camera's moving. It's uh, there's a lot of atmosphere that's created through weird stuff. Um, You watch stream Queens a little bit, Rob. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that that show really relied on it at all. Um, I saw Glee and uh, some of Glee, at least a couple seasons worth. And I don't remember that being as prominent a feature. Um, there was there were certainly some flourishes uh, in this episode that I, I don't particularly associate with Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Was that to sort of recreate the legendary OJ spin move, Akiva? Yeah, I, the, the camera work was a little dizzying. But, you know, again, he didn't write the show. I so had he's to gotta sit put... down. I said, oh, my God, I'm getting I'm getting Wait, you normally watch television standing. <laughs> I have standing desk, Akiva. Oh, I didn't know about that. The, I think I, yeah, I think Murphy needed to put his stamp on it. So he put his own sort of visual thing in there since he's not writing the words. Akiva, I know you also routinely uh, keep up with the Kardashians. Well, what has been their response to all of this? Well, I, it's actually really interesting. I was looking and seeing like if any of them were tweeting about it. I could I don't think, uh, uh, you know, I got sick just on a couple of their Twitter pages for a few seconds. But America's first family. Yeah. I, I, by the way, before I even say that, like I was thinking, is it possible that they would have become equally as famous? Uh, without this case and i think it's no. actually i think it's possible because nobody knows that robert kardashian is from the oj trial and if you look at chris jenner she's already at the time of this of the murder married to a guy who in the 80s was the most famous guy in the country so this was already a person a family that had you know seeked fame and successfully got it so to me uh you know if she's still making you know the right moves and in uh, the early part of her career, it's possible that the family is is similarly famous. Than, See, I uh, would say no, though, because I feel like that they got a lot of notoriety and or fame and or money during this period of time. And I feel like that in the early days of the Kardashian legacy or dynasty, that they were sort of like getting involved with like uh, these shows on E! Like the... Uh, filthy rich cattle drive where Courtney Kardashian was appearing on different reality shows and they sort of like started to become friends with Paris Hilton and I'm not sure if that they're on that same trajectory of hanging with those sort of other wealthy kids now we're getting down a rabbit hole here but I think I you know if we're analyzing why Kim Kardashian got famous but it was really Kim getting famous first and I think well, that's you know, a different man- conversation if you want yeah, to get into why Kim Kardashian got famous that's next week's most shows recap <laughs> yeah but I think I think, you know, Paris Hilton basically has the mantle and for whatever reason, because she was so unlikable, didn't run with it. And I think Kim Kardashian was her friend, although I think at that, you know, very soon afterwards, they had a breaking up over. I'm not sure why, but, you know, and then she sort of ran with it. I don't know. Now we're now we're talking things that there's probably more qualified people. To talk about. Probably. OK, so what about what about uh, the Kardashians in terms of the OJ story? So I was a little nervous that they would be really gratuitous, but I don't think they were. I think. Yes, you're mentioning, oh, what does Chris think about this? Or do it in Kimmy's bedroom. But, Whoa. you know, kill yourself in Kimmy's bedroom. But I think, uh, you know, all they didn't really stretch. So here's a few things that actually happened. It, it's impossible. Again, a lot of the, the key players are either would never talk because of because of, uh, you know, uh, because they were attorneys and confidentiality. They can't talk or they're dead or they're O.J. Simpson and they're in jail or, you know, and a pathological liar, probably. So you'll never really get the truth on almost anything that's in dispute in this case. But to me, uh, you know, it seems like the the uh, the fact that O.J. was suicidal and and considered killing himself in uh, in Kim Kardashian's bedroom is is a story that Robert Shapiro told before, she, you know, Kim Kardashian was even anybody. I think he told that to Barbara Walters in an interview uh, before he passed. Uh, before, excuse me. Robert Shapiro told told to Barbara Walters. And uh, so that may have had he definitely was suicidal. And, and the idea that it would have happened in Kim Kardashian's bedroom is true. 
what's more, and also uh, Kim and Courtney, there's video of them showing up to the funerals. They were actually there at the funeral. So what's the most interesting to me is you have OJ Simpson hiring, you know, one of his best friends as the show, you know, as the show would ostensibly want us to believe as an attorney uh, in Robert Kardashian and his ex-wife is the best friend of the murder victim. So now you have, you know, even if we're, like we think we're telling this story a little bit too much from the Kardashians point of view, you have, the, you know, the two sides in this case split up between the Kardashian family. And, uh, you know, if you're curious who they believe, the answer is they believe the dad that, you know, Kim and, and I'm sure her, her sisters, at least the ones who are old enough to know what's going on, never believed that OJ did it. And, you know, they were on her father's side. But this idea that the, you know, the mother's best friend is, you know, murdered and, the, and, and their father is defending him is kind of insane if you think about it. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. And they didn't get into the background. How did Robert Kardashian know OJ? Like, what were they friends from? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the background is there. Apparently, you know, Robert Kardashian had been an attorney uh, and was sort of a, a well-known figure in that circle already, um, as was established. But maybe not well-known enough. He came off as kind of pathetic when OJ was first point. Like, OJ, OJ. And he came off as kind of stupid. Ross too. Kardashian. The Ross Kardashian part. It really was coming out. and. So I don't know um, what his key role was there. Uh, it, it's fascinating. It's almost like he chose to inject himself into this scenario. But then you hear him say in the context of this episode, well, when I broke up with Chris, OJ was there for me every night. So they must have been friends already through some way, shape or form. It could have been as simple as Chris was friends with Nicole and OJ was with Nicole and Robert and OJ became friends through that. And then Robert and OJ stayed friends. Akiva, do you have a different you know any more uh, deeper knowledge on that? So Robert Kardashian, Ross Kardashian really was on a break from Kris Jenner. Yeah. And I, but the idea is, you know, their if their wives were at one point best friends that, you know, it's, it's logical that they would run in the same circle. Oh, interesting. Well, Nicole, Nicole Simpson was what she was just like a waitress. Uh, I don't think she was anybody that OJ, uh, you know, knew it wasn't like she was like the PR director for the, the Rams or something like she was, she was a waitress. She was, and she was really young. At the time she met OJ. Was she the PR director? That's what it cost them to move? <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, I really hope that that's not true. That would be the NFL just can't get its dirty fingers off of this story one way or the other. But uh, no, she was she was just a, a person. She wasn't a celebrity before she met OJ. She was just a normal person who had the unfortunate kind of uh, circumstance of, of getting involved with somebody who uh, ultimately probably killed her. Um, and she clearly had the lifestyle that was attendant with being married to a very rich person, a very famous person. Uh, and that was, of course, the what was up for debate. She did sign a prenuptial agreement because she wasn't coming into the relationship with a ton of assets herself. Uh, and that was a, a big source of the dispute between the two of them. And I, I've been an attorney for domestic violence victims for a couple of years. Uh, and I can tell you that, that this case totally does fit the pattern. Uh, when you hear about murder suicides or uh, people killing their their ex or their spouse or something like that, it absolutely fits the pattern. It's a sad pattern that exists uh, of you know the the patterns of control and behavior and things like that. Um, but it's certainly there. And so for Nicole, uh, I, I guess that Chris and Nicole were were friends prior to the relationship. I don't know if Robert Kardashian had a higher profile or not. Um, that was his house, clearly. Uh, that was the hideout, if you will. It's a really nice house. So he had some money from somewhere. Akiva, you were telling me right before we came on that you were able to pick out some things that were truth from things that were false in this show. Do you want to share any of those with us? Yeah. Uh, like we said, you know, that statue, which I thought was funny and I thought it was a gag, is it was actually real. Um, one of the most uh, interesting scenes of the first episode is when OJ walks into the uh, funeral, uh, the church or whatever it was, and uh, you know, everyone's sort of silent and staring at him and then he walks up and he kisses uh, uh, Nicole on the head. Uh, that actually happened. Wow. He did, he did kiss her. And I imagine, you know, with with thousands of cameras outside, I imagine, you know, and everyone in there staring at him. That was probably a big deal. Uh, like I said, Kimmy Courtney were at the funeral um, that, you know, uh, here's one interesting thing. <laughs> the um, uh, Johnny Cochran, when he's getting dressed, gives a reason that he can't wear green, that his client that day, Michael Jackson, is afraid of lime green, uh, could not verify if that's true or not. Hmm. So Michael Jackson <laughs> is afraid of the color uh, green. 
it's another thing that uh was unclear and some of these by the way i should uh credit come from uh articles in vanity fair and slate from today uh that people can't could not verify if robert shapiro truly ever asked oj if he did or not before he took the you know before he took the case nobody knows if that's true or not but there are stories in i think in his in his autobiography where you know he something similar happens uh one thing marcia clark said of something that that they they undersold or or maybe this is an answer to one of your original questions of uh is you know uh do does the show think that oj did it or not is the detective calls up oj when he's in chicago and the detective says to oj your wife is dead now on the show i think they say your wife was killed right mm-hmm, but, right but here they say your wife was dead and oj's response was to to your wife is dead oj's response is who killed her? Hmm. So, you know, and so Marsha Clark says, what about a car accident? Why not assume she overdosed? You know, why? Why do you assume she was killed? So to me, that is uh, one of the most interesting things about, you know, the entire sort of pre-trial uh, of, of the whole incident of OJ's mentality and and certainly leads to, you know, it was a minor thing, but leads to, you know, maybe pushing the scale towards guilt. And they and they left that out, maybe because they're trying to be more 50 50. Okay. Yeah. Was it was it true or not? That Robert Shapiro looked like he had drawn on eyebrows, cake makeup, and really badly dyed hair. I don't know. <laughs> Is that true or false? We don't know. The, the jury's still out on that one. The jury's still out. Okay. We got a hung jury. I got it. Is this a good look for me? Do you like this look? <laughs> Would you like I, a hug? <laughs> I, like you said that Travolta, you know, you said like, yeah, I liked him Pulp Fiction, but I'm looking at his IMDb page. Has he been decent in anything since uh, Face Off 17 years ago, 18 years ago? <laughs> Like, is it possible he's just totally washed up and and like, you know, this is almost like, uh, you know, a coup for him to get the gig, but he's sort of weighing it down. Well, this is the I mean, the, the funny thing is he was washed up before Pulp Fiction. And the big story at that time was that Pulp Fiction was the region, the rebirth of his career. This guy from Saturday Night Fever in Greece and the young hunk and, uh, you know, welcome back, Cotter and all the things he was famous for early in his career. If you look right before Pulp Fiction, he's not really doing much. Uh, what about the look who's talking movies? Oh yeah, look who's talking. I forgot about that. Who's I apologize. Too. Look who else is yes. talking. Look look at all these things. Yeah. <laughs> and tread oh. lightly if you're going to say anything about Welcome Back Cotter. <laughs> no, no. I'm there's, there's he was good at the beginning of his career. He's a funny guy. Like he he I think he can play certain roles really well. This is just not one of them. And <laughs> that's really unfortunate for John Travolta, I guess, but I'm pretty sure he got a nice paycheck and he got EP, so good for him. So then the next episode is going to be all about the Bronco chase. Are you guys captivated by going into episode two? We always talk about a lot on this show, whether or not we're going to be watching episode two or we're going to be hanging in there with just letting them sort of like pile up on the DVR. Akiva, I get the sense from you. You will be there next Tuesday night. Yeah, to me, that's the most anticipated of, of the early, you know, until maybe the the verdict and that sort of thing. But to me, that's one of the more anticipated episodes. Antonio, how about you? Are you going to let it pile up or are you going to be there live on Tuesday? Well, I'm, I'm facing an interesting kind of dilemma with a lot of these shows. If, if there had been another episode, I would have started it immediately as soon as this one was over. And I probably would have started the one after that. And the one after that, I enjoy it more when I can do that. Uh, but that said, this one is such in the zeitgeist that it's going to be hard. Not especially with the Bronco chase. I'm going to want to watch that right. Like, there's no chance I'm not going to be tuning into this as it airs next week. Yeah, I think we might all be just live tweeting the fake Bronco chase as if it were happening here in 2016. <laughs> That's a fantastic idea. <laughs> I think so. We'll just be all let's, like, let's let's just take over Twitter. Let's break Twitter with the, the, the redo of the Bronco chase. Yeah, and if somebody, maybe somebody young who didn't experience it and can't wait till next week, because I think you're right, Antonio, like I re- you really wanted to get into the next one right after this. And this actually probably would have been a perfect Netflix show. You know, I would have pounded out all 10 in two nights, probably. But if yeah. someone does want to, uh, you know, get a little bit of a sense, I'm sure there's plenty of good things. But the 30 for 30 that ESPN did about June 17th, 1994, that uh, deals with some sports things, but also uh, what's called OJ's car chase. That's worth watching this week if you haven't seen it already. Let's take some of the questions that we have from the listeners of the podcast. Let's start out with our buddy, Brendan Fitzpatrick, who writes in, uh, Rob, do you usually go around introducing yourself to people who should know who you are by your full name and job title like Mark Furman did? Uh, Detective Mark Furman, LAPD homicide, uh, Mr. Sisterino survivor podcaster, or was it for the actual benefit of the audience? Because I didn't need it. I knew who they were supposed to be as soon as they came on the screen and turned into Captain Exposition. Was there too much exposition in your mind, Antonio? Well, no, not in that regard. Actually, and Akiva can probably verify this, 
Uh, I think that there, there was a real disconnect there. There were like somewhere north of a thousand detectives in LA uh, and people didn't know each other. Even at that scene, it became a very high profile scene as soon as they knew she was the ex-wife of OJ. Uh, and a lot of calls were made up the chain. Uh, and pretty, pretty soon you had a scene full of people who didn't know each other and that Mark Furman was not known to a lot of those investigators. And that actually comes into play in the course of the trial. So in that particular instance, I didn't feel, I, I agree, I didn't need it when he said, um, Mark, can you do this? I knew right away that was Mark Furman. But I think for a lot of people who really weren't as tuned in, remember the name Mark Furman, don't, but don't really remember exactly what role he played in the case, uh, other than being one of the cops who was a racist. Um, I think that it was important to establish pretty quickly, oh, that's Mark Furman. So I'm going to keep my eye on him. Uh, and I think that it, it was in keeping with what happened in real life. Bob Morasso wants to know, did OJ and people like Rob Kardashian really refer to OJ as the juice as often as they did on the show in the third person? I feel like that's true. I don't know. Akiva? Um, I, yeah, I think I he called himself the juice. So I would, <laughs> I would, I, it was definitely a nickname wow. that was that, you know, people knew about. Great nickname. Do you know about Juiced? The do you know about the do you know about his uh, punked like show Juiced? Either <laughs> yeah. you guys know about this? Yeah, I no. remember it, and this was like after the trial. Oh yeah, this was po- this was pre uh, post trial one, pre jail number two, where uh, he basically made this. I don't know if it ever got produced anywhere, but they made a punked like show where OJ would prank people, and then he'd come in and say you got Juiced. But the pranks were really terrible. I think it's on YouTube. I think you can find it on YouTube. The pranks didn't make any sense. Like it was just like, ha, there's OJ Simpson doing something, you know, beneath him. And then he would just pop up or there would be something like really dumb happen five times. And anyway, it's definitely worth watching for 30 seconds before you shut it off and break your computer screen. That guy in the ski mask robbing the bank. It's not a real robber. It's OJ Simpson. So we also set up that the Bronco chase is going to be the next episode. Antonio, are there any other things from the trial that you know are coming that you're especially looking forward to seeing how the show handles? Well, we haven't seen Lancido yet. That's going to be big. Lancido yeah. is a judge who, who wanted the celebrity. The dancing Edos became a thing on Jay Leno. Like this is a major player from the trial uh, and, a, and a true character. And we haven't seen him yet. We also haven't seen F. Lee Bailey, who is a, a notorious attorney. Uh, who once, in fact, in the 1960s, uh, did an investigation of whether Paul was really dead from the Beatles uh, and did a whole TV special about all the clues and everything. So he was already a high-profile kind of TV attorney uh, at the time, and then he comes into the trial. He's being played by Nathan Lane, so that'll be really uh, interesting to see what choices. Because Nathan Lane is a great actor, obviously, but he's also a guy that if he wants to camp it up, he can. Um, He's done that in several different roles. So it'll be interesting to see how... uh, what kind of take Nathan Lane has on the role of F. Lee Bailey. So I'm looking forward to seeing those two pop up in the trial for sure. And Connie Britton as Faye Resnick. I think we only got a little bit of her. Um, she is a Faye Resnick had a cocaine problem. Uh, she already kind of mentioned like if it wasn't for Nicole, I wouldn't have gone to rehab. Uh, so we're going to, it'll be really fun to see uh, an actor of Connie Britton's caliber, how she plays out in, in the context of this series, whether she's going to be in a couple of scenes and a couple of episodes. Uh, or what her role in the trial is going to be. I'm looking forward to Okay, so we have to assume that all of season one of The People versus O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story, is going to be a big hit. So let's just sort of talk about where do we think we could go from here. Antonio, what are your ideas for season two of this show? Well, I don't. I mean, I, I, I'm more curious with, Akiva, uh, with Akiva's ideas because he's more of a true crime nut. Uh, for me, I don't know if they're going to do a trial every year. If they are going to do a trial every year, it seems to me like the more recent high-profile trial that we've seen uh, is Casey Anthony. Uh, I don't think you want to go there on the George Zimmerman trial. Um, it may be a little too much of a just kind of a droning, uh, depressing kind of sad event if you do that. Uh, but maybe you do it. I don't know. Uh, but the the Casey Anthony thing, I think there's some legs there. And I think that if they wanted to do that long form, uh, there's a good possibility you get a little too much into TV movie kind of territory. Yeah. If you're, 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 you know, you're high profiling some of these things, but um, I mean, they could, they could take it further back. They could do the scopes trial if they wanted there. It is called American crime story though. So that's, I think that's really R- Ryan Murphy's definitely going to the scopes trial next. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. I know. I know. I'm just thinking of like Sacco and Vanzetti, like high profile trials throughout the course of American history. I don't know what you want to do. Akiva, what are your thoughts on a season two? Uh, yeah. Oh, the Casey Anthony thing. I think it's a little similar to OJ in the sense that the person got off 
Casey Anthony is infinitely more detested than OJ to the point where it would be hard. She's so unlikable. It would be hard to have her on the screen for 10 episodes. Uh, it would be really interesting. And that story does have a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot there. I, you know, Natalie Holloway, there's not much there because it's such a mystery. Uh, people say that that they're planning on making sort of the aftermath of Katrina season two. Yeah. The Hollywood Reporter had reported that, but I don't know. That's a bad move. Well, that's what that's what the Hollywood Report does. They report. <laughs> it's right there in their name. <laughs> um, but to me, uh, here's where I would go if I was looking for the best possible ratings. I do the story of Adnan Syed next season. Oh, see, I have in my notes that I think that making a murderer, I think that they should do the Stephen Avery case. See, that's like so soon. I don't know. That's it. I mean, either one, I think, is a home run. Either I'm one. Don't yeah. do don't do Bo Bergdahl. I think don't that do. Would Bo, be, yeah, that's a big mistake. That would be a mess. <laughs> yeah, I made a, li- a quick list of my top three. And I think that the Stephen Avery saga, I think, would be good because I mean, can you copyright that? I mean, just making a murder have a copyright on the Stephen Avery case. I mean, what would stop Ryan Murphy from doing a dramatization of that? I think this would be the perfect time to do it. And I think you'd have, you know, so much buzz about that. How about this? What about the impeachment of Bill Clinton? I think it's a little too dry for the Murphy style, right? That's a, is that a pun, Akiva? Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't saying anything. I was biting no, my tongue. Oh. I don't want to go full bloom on most shows. <laughs> yeah. Recap. Keep it as a family podcast, Akiva. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just think it's it's a little too technical for uh, too technical. But you have the whole Monica Lewinsky, you have Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton. You need a lot of famous people that we can recognize. On oh this. yeah, Jennifer Flowers, all the people that were involved. Yeah, the, the, I mean, there's. There's a lot there that that's going to happen at some point, whether it's on American crime story or whether it's another take that will happen. I think that's a home run. I think that's a, yeah. that's a good one. And then the other one I have, what about deflate gate? Oh boy. Deflate gate, <laughs> the movie. I think people are so sick of that. To <laughs> me, that's, that's not happening. Don't you want to know what really happened though? Akiva? No, I, I just assume that Tom Brady cheated. And the <laughs> Patriots are, but I, it's funny. The New York times called this, this, uh, you know, series, unmaking a murderer basically that it took someone who they think did murder and you know and fa- and had them you know found them innocent so this is sort of the anti Stephen avery case mm. yeah i'm really not sure i want ryan murphy's take on katrina i think that that would yeah. be bad but you know john travolta famously played bill clinton or a bill clinton type in primary colors uh, the movie based on the book and he did a really good job with it so if you want to stick with the ryan murphy model where you have some returning actors i think travolta could actually pull that off I mean, clearly, take some makeup on his face, draw some eyebrows on, give him some gray hair. He's ready to go. Yeah. It's gonna be it could be, if they do it next February, it could be very timely because Hillary, in theory, could be president. You know, basically sworn in 10 days before the show launches. Yeah. Be a pretty cool. Can we get Larry David as a younger Bernie Sanders in that story <laughs> somehow? That's all I want. That's all I want. All right. Well, I am really looking forward to hearing the reaction from everybody out there in terms of what they thought about the show and uh, where they think it's going. Uh, So much fun to talk to you guys both about it. Uh, Antonio, next week on Most Show Recaps, where are we going? Well, it's it's February here, so we're getting into the second half of a lot of network TV shows. And one that Josh and I really wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about here on Post Show Recaps, but a lot of people have asked us to talk about is how to get away with murder. Oh, like OJ. Uh, the Shonda Rhimes show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's perfectly in keeping with, uh, with the theme that we're, we're establishing here. Uh, it does not feature Johnny Cochran. Uh, it does not feature uh, jury selection issues, uh, although that, is, that does sometimes come into play. So how to get away with murder is a Shonda Rhimes show. Um, you can probably binge the first season on Hulu, I believe, uh, and catch up on the second season if you're interested in doing that before we talk about it. It is a very pulpy, uh, fun show to watch that way. Uh, and, and so we're going to get into that. We may get into some of the other Shonda Rhimes shows like Scandal, uh, or Grey's Anatomy. Uh, I don't think Josh and I either are experts on that. So we're working on getting some special guests for that show. All right. else is pulpy? Tell me. OJ. Sorry. I thought you were going to go with Travolta. (laughs) That's a great joke. (laughs) But also Travolta. There's there's a lot of pulp involved, really, all the way across the spectrum. The juice is loose. All right. We have to come up with a hashtag here for this episode. Uh, what do you guys think of uh, Kimmy's bedroom where OJ is attempting to commit suicide, which would have been uh, the second worst thing to ever happen in Kim Kardashian's bedroom? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All those Joey Lawrence posters. Whoa, Jay sitting in there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. Kimmy's bedroom. Kimmy's bedroom. Okay. Of course, uh, you could hear Akiva alongside myself every week on the Seinfeld post show recap. And those Jackie Childs episodes are right around the corner, Akiva. Yeah, they're coming. We're going to see them very soon. 
Yes. Uh, plus, you can also hear Keeve on the 32 Fans in 32 Days of Football podcast. Are you guys going to be talking about the career of OJ Simpson at any point in the NFL offseason? Only if we rank like the greatest Buffalo Bills or the top running backs. But we do need something to talk about once the football season's over. So, And we probably need a new name since that name is really outdated. But <laughs> we'll be doing something. Okay. Uh, of course, you can hear more Antonio every week on the Top Chef Rehap Up show on reality TV Rehap Ups. Yeah, having a lot of fun with that. And we're getting into the restaurant wars section of this season at Top Chef, which is always a fun time. Of course, you could follow Antonio on Twitter. He's at AC Mizarro. That's two Z's, one R. Correct. And of course, Akiva is on Twitter at Keeve. 26. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Looking forward to seeing your comments, of course, on postshowrecaps.com. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.